likely been praying quite a lot this past year because we've constantly been aware of people around us who are hurting or their families are going through difficult times or, or just different things like that. And sometimes it can be difficult to know exactly what to pray in, in the different situations that we might find ourselves or that people around us might find themselves in. And I want us to look at prayer. I want us to spend some time about this. I've had some people ask me some questions, and I so I kind of want to respond to to some of that. Um, but then I'm also thinking that if you know some other people have been asking me questions, then there's probably the rest of us who also want to know uh, the answers to some of these things. Now, prayer, simply put, is just whenever we talk to God, it's a conversation that we have with God. But another way of looking at prayer is this is an interesting uh, relationship between. Our will and God's will. It's whenever the two wills combine together. But then sometimes what do we do whenever our will and God's will don't exactly match up? See, all of these things kind of come into to play whenever we talk about prayer. And I want us to address some of these uh, from examples that we learn in the Bible. So let's start off kind of laying a foundation uh, about prayer. Some, some you know pretty important things to keep in mind always uh, throughout this study. The first thing comes to really kind of the end, I guess, of our prayers. We almost always pray with the same phrase, in Jesus' name, amen. Whenever we say in Jesus' name, why do we say that? Well, Jesus himself says in John 14, verses 13 and 14, 
Jesus speaking once again, he says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, it's this passage, among others as well, as to why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because it's not something that you know we can do, but we can pray by the name, through the name, through the authority that is found in that name of Jesus. And he's given us a promise that whatever we ask, God will do. I mean, that's, that's a pretty, you know, high bar right there. That, that's a lot that we could ask for. And, you know, as we look at that, we might think, well, I mean, what, it kind of sounds like whatever we ask, that's what God will do. And Jesus does give us that promise. We find out some more teachings, though, uh, throughout the Bible, too, to keep in mind as we look at this passage as well. Let's now take a look at, at what James says. This would be what some of the early church, kind of the uh, the early church teachings and what they were kind of sharing uh, with one another, um, continuing on in what Jesus also preached whenever he was physically here with us as well. So in James chapter 1, he has a great passage that uh, I will tell you, for the most part, it is speaking about praying for wisdom. But I believe it includes more than just with wisdom, especially whenever we keep in mind what we just read from Jesus's words. James, I believe, is talking about a lot more than just wisdom. But in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, this is what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So what does James teach us? Well, same thing that Jesus taught us. That's because his teachings come from Jesus. So the teachings that he is sharing uh, to us, it comes down to the fact that we need to ask these things in the name of Jesus. And whenever we ask things, believing them, not doubting, but whenever we ask in faith, then we will receive these things. Now, I want us to look at, at the Old Testament. Uh, I want us to see some examples. Uh, the first example is going to come from the person of Abraham. I want us to look at some of these, these big examples from the Bible. Uh, the first one we're going to take a look at is Abraham back in Genesis chapter 18. Now, as I've stated before, prayer is us talking with God. And this one um, is going to be kind of like a prayer, but it's, a, it's really a conversation that God has with Abraham. But notice how this conversation goes and notice what all Abraham is, is willing and able to ask of God. Genesis chapter 18. Now, without a doubt, you know the stories about Sodom and Gomorrah. But did you know that Abraham actually kind of prayed, if you will, about those cities before their destruction? Genesis 18, verses 16 through 21. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. That's speaking about the three men who uh, were with Abraham, and of course the Lord was with them. And then it appears that two of them were angels. They go on into Sodom and Gomorrah, and then one of them, the Lord, stands, stays behind and speaks to Abraham. Sorry, I wanted to go ahead and make sure we understand who these people are. Going back to verse 17 now. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. 
for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, this tells us a few things. Uh, for starters, th this conversation hasn't even uh, brought in Abraham just yet. This is just God kind of apparently speaking to himself here, trying to think about this. You know, you've ever, ever had those moments that you, uh, you're thinking with yourself and you're processing these things. Well, sometimes in the Bible, we get the insight into what God is doing. So God has heard this outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's heard about their sin. He's heard about how bad it is. And he's going to go and investigate. And that's what he's about to do uh, in throughout the rest of this chapter. But let's continue on because this conversation that Abraham has is great because apparently God did decide that he wasn't going to hide from Abraham what he's about to do. He's going to tell Abraham, but notice Abraham's response. Verses 22 through 25. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? So see what he's doing? I mean, he's, he's asking God, he's questioning God about this, and he's saying, are you really going to destroy the whole city? What if there's righteous people in it? What are you going to do then? You know, are you just going to destroy them with all the rest of them? That's the question that Abraham has. Uh, in many respects, it's a pretty bold question, but it's also an important question. And this is one that Abraham stands up and he asks the Lord, what, what's he going to do? Is he going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verses 26 through 33. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. Well, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. If you keep reading, apparently it's kind of implied that not even ten righteous people could be found within the whole cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the ones that could be found was Lot and his family, and they were taken uh, by force, I might even add. They, they had to be forcibly brought out of the city, but they were the ones that were righteous. They were the only ones. And God was faithful, God knew what he was doing, and he spared their lives. But 
notice this conversation that Abraham has. It's probably one that you, you know quite well, but have you considered this to be a prayer ever? Have you thought about this in our own prayers? Would you be so bold as to ask the Lord something like this? Well, Abraham knew this is what he wanted. He wanted the, the city to be spared because he had family there. He wanted nothing negative to come to his own family. So that's why he went through this whole thing with the Lord. And we see the Lord is, is more than fair in his dealing with this city. But we also find out in the next chapter that, if, that ultimately the city was destroyed. But those who are righteous were still taken care of. That is our God, and that is the love that our God has. Let's look at another example in the Old Testament, this time the example of Moses. From Numbers chapter 14, now you'll soon uh, see that this is the time whenever uh, Moses is, is following God's command, leading the Israelites out of the land of Egypt and toward the promised land. And among that, if you know the story well, you know that there's time and time again uh, the people of Israel. They sin against God. They turn their backs on God. How's God going to respond? How's Moses going to respond? Notice this prayer, this conversation that Moses has with God. Numbers 14, verses 11 through 12. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have, uh, I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a great, into a nation greater and stronger than they. Verses 13 through 16, Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people. And that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them. And that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, The Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now, notice what's going on right here. Moses is actually appealing to the, the Lord's name and the Lord's reputation. The fact that the Lord has brought them out of the land of Egypt. And how would it look to the other nations if God is strong enough to bring them out of the, uh, out of the land of Egypt going toward the promised land, but if God isn't able to keep them faithful to him? You know, what, what does it look like about um, a God that would let his people go astray? And Moses appeals to the name of the Lord. He appeals to uh, this reputation. And this is something that, that we see that, uh, of course, Moses, he doesn't want any negative things to come upon the people that, uh, that he's leading. And he's saying, you know, look, uh, your reputation is at stake in this. And we see that, uh, that what the Lord is going to respond is quite interesting because the Lord actually considers what our will is. Even after he makes known perhaps his own will, he still takes into consideration the will of mankind. Now, if we continue on, verses 17 through 19, 
Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. So now, not only is Moses appealing to, well, look, your name's at stake, but now he's actually quoting some things that God has told him already. He's quoting those back to God, and he's saying, look, you've told us this is your nature. Is this really your nature? Is this how you're going to respond right here? And guess what? Of course the Lord doesn't go against his own nature. Verses 20 through 23. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So now we notice something. We notice that God forgave them. Okay, he, he forgave them as was the, the will of Moses. Okay, so he takes that in consideration. At the same time, there's still consequences. Even in the last slide, we looked at and, and we saw that, that part of God's nature is he's not going to overlook sin. He's not overlooking sin right here. No, he, he's, he's going to bring about consequences right here. But we do see that he takes into consideration the will of mankind. He's taking into consideration the will of Moses right here, just like he took into consideration the will of Abraham. See, prayer is this wonderful thing, this beautiful relationship between our will and God's will combining. Now, this right here is a great example. Abraham, great example. We see this boldness that, that we can ask God. Now, at the same time, what if we ask God for something and we find out that the answer is no? Because guess what? We actually see that happening several times in the Bible. We see that even in the New Testament. Uh, for that, I want us to turn to the passage that speaks of Paul's thorn in the flesh. That would be 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, Paul is, is speaking about uh, his thorn in his flesh. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." We see that even the Apostle Paul himself, now, you know, of course we think that Paul, I mean, he's, he's one of these top Christians, right? I mean, that, that's how we think about him. And, and he, he was a great Christian. He really was. But sometimes he had things that he asked God for. And God's response was no, for one reason or another. God's will, man's will. It's a combination of the two. It's not just one. It's not just one-sided. The, the answer right here in verse 9 is, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes we need to be okay with that response if that is the response that we get from God. Let's now just look briefly and, and learn from the example of Jesus himself. 
It's great whenever we look at humans. It's great that we see examples from the Old Testament. It's great whenever we see examples from the New Testament. But let's turn our attention to Jesus. Now, I'm going to say this, and I believe that you know most of you watching this are going to agree with me on this. Um, I believe that Jesus is God. Um, and I believe that we also see several times that he's talking to his heavenly father. I mean, he teaches us how to pray. He became a human being to teach us how to be a human being. And in John chapter 12, I want you to notice that sometimes Jesus himself didn't always even know exactly what to pray. John chapter 12, verses 27 through 33. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason. I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So now we see that in this time, he's, he's praying, but we also notice, look at verse 27 again. He says that his soul is troubled, and he's like, what shall I say? What, what shall I say about this? He knows that he's saying, you know, save me from this hour. Save me from what's coming up ahead. But then he says at the same time, okay, this is, this is what I was brought into this world for. I, I came to this hour. So then he says, Father, glorify your name. Sometimes this might be how we have to pray too. We might have to recognize that, you know, sometimes there's a there's a bigger plan, a bigger picture going on that sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. Jesus, of course, knew uh, a bit about what was going on right here. Sometimes we have a whole lot less insight into this. Sometimes we might just have to, to trust God. And sometimes we might just have to, to give in to his will, right? Well, th this is exactly what we see at the end of the Gospels whenever Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 26 and notice how that prayer goes. Jesus knew death was coming up ahead, but he still prayed this prayer. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 41. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Notice this prayer. Focus especially on verse 39. And notice that what Jesus is doing right here, he's praying to his heavenly father and he says, if it is possible, may this cup, I believe he's talking about this cup of suffering. He, he kind of references this. And I guess if you want to look at it, uh, you could maybe take this as cup of suffering, cup of wrath that, that's going to be poured out. Uh, whatever the case, I think it's pretty much going to come up to the same thing. And that is his death. That, that's what's going to be taking place. It's not going to be fun for him. And he's asking that may this cup be taken from me. But then at the same time he prays, not as I will, but as you will. 
And if Jesus, who was and is God, was able to pray this prayer, I believe that we as human beings can pray the same type of prayer too. We can pray, Father, if it's possible, may my will be done in this case. That's essentially what, what Jesus is asking in verse 39. But then Jesus also comes back to and he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. It's okay for us to ask our will to be done uh, whenever we pray. That's what Abraham did. That's what Moses did. That's what Jesus is doing. But we always need to recognize the Father's will. And this last part of the prayer, yet not as I will, but as you will. Prayer is a combination of our will and God's will. This passage, though, continues on because he prays pretty much the same type of thing uh, in just a few verses later. Verses 42 through 46. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus knew what was coming up. He knew all, all, all the whole while. He'd been telling them that he was going to be killed, he was going to be betrayed. He, he told them all these things. He still prayed three different times. And, by the way, that perhaps is another lesson. He didn't pray just once. That's the example of Paul, isn't it? That Paul prayed more than once that his thorn in the flesh would be taken from him. But then God said that he wasn't going to do it in that case. And here in this case, Jesus was asking that the cup just be taken away from him, that he not have to go through this thing. But he always submitted to the will of the Father and he said, may your will be done. This is how we need to pray. This is how we must pray. Yes, we can ask for things. But always recognize the will of God is greater than ours. The will of God triumphs our will. Jesus knew what was coming. And apparently the answer to his prayer was that there was no other way. It wasn't possible for some other way than for him to go through with this plan that, that uh, had already been put into place. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And thankfully, because that, that also allows us to come with boldness, as the Hebrew writer tells us, that we can now boldly approach the throne of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, this is speaking about the sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf and how that allows us to boldly come before the throne of God, to boldly be able to pray these things to our Heavenly Father. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He's speaking in kind of a language that, of course, it, it, it means a lot within the context of the book of Hebrews. But it can mean a lot for us. And that is that you know we see that we can boldly come and we can draw near, as verse 22, we can draw near to God because of what has been done for us. We can have this confidence to be able to approach God because of the blood of Jesus, as verse 19 says. 
So whenever you boldly come before the throne of God, pray whatever you will. Look at the examples of, of Abraham. Look at the examples of, of Moses and even Jesus himself. But all the while, as you perhaps bring your will before God, always pray God's will be done. And recognize that prayer is this combination between God's will and our will. It's not always about what you want. You're not always going to get whatever you want. But just as a child asks their parents and, and talks to their parents about these things that they might want, well, the parent knows what's best for the children. Our Heavenly Father knows what's best for us. Ask Him what you will, but make sure that your will and God's will are the same. And make sure that you can pray the same way that Jesus prayed, not just my will, but your will be done. God's will be done. Turn to me with all your heart. Return to me.